Chapter Four of the Black Moth. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Tara Mendoza. The Black Moth by Georgette Hare. Chapter Four. Introducing the Lady Lavinia Carstairs. Richard went slowly back to his chair. After a moment he sat down, staring blankly out of the window, his hands loosely clasped on the desk before him. So he remained for a long while immobile. At last, with the faintest of sighs, he moved and picked up a quill. He dipped it in the ink, and with his other hand drew towards him a sheaf of papers. Presently he was writing steadily. For perhaps twenty minutes the quill travelled to and fro across the pages, then it paused, and Richard looked up towards the door. It opened to admit Lady Lavinia. She came rustling into the room with her embroidery in her hand. She dropped her husband a mock curtsy, and went over to a high-backed armchair, stretching out a dimpled hand to draw it forward. But, even as her fingers touched it, she had changed her mind, and fluttered over to the couch, there to seat herself with much swirling of brocades and arrangement of skirts. She then proceeded to occupy herself with her work, plying her needle hurriedly and jerkily. Richard watched her in silence, following each turn of the pretty hand and each movement of her fair head. The silence was evidently not to my lady's taste, for she presently began to beat an impatient tattoo on the floor with one slender foot. Still he said nothing, and she raised her pure china-blue eyes to his face. "'Why so glum, Dick?' "'Why do you not talk to me?' Her voice was rather high-pitched and childish, and she had a curious way of ending each sentence with an upward lilt and a long, drawn-out accent, very fascinating to listen to. Richard smiled with an obvious effort. "'Am I, dear? I crave your pardon. Warburton has just been.' Her face clouded over instantly, and the full-lipped mouth drooped petulantly. He has seen him. Oh? She made the word twice its length and filled it with disinterest. Yes, Jack will have none of it. He asks me to be his steward and to use Wincham as I will. He is very generous. Yes. Oh, yes, Richard. And you will, Richard? He ignored the question. He, Warburton, says he's not much changed. Oh? again the long-drawn monosyllable accompanied by a tiny yawn. He says he does not think Jack bears me ill-will. He paused, as if expecting her to speak, but she was absorbed in arranging two flowers, culled from a bowl at her side, at her breast, and took no notice. Carstairs turned his head away wearily. "'If it were not for you, my dear, I would tell the truth. I believe I shall go crazed, and I do not.' "'Dick!' She dropped the flowers on the floor, and thought no more about them. Dick! Oh, you need have no fear. I do not suppose, bitterly, that I have the courage to face them all now, after six years. Lavinia moved restlessly, brushing her hand along the couch. You will not do it, Richard. Promise. You will not. I could not bear the disgrace of it. Promise me you will never do it. No. 
he said slowly, not looking at her. No, I cannot promise that. She sprang to her feet, flinging her embroidery from her carelessly, and waved fierce, agitated little hands. That means you will do it. You want to disgrace me. You do not care how you hurt me by holding this threat over my head so cruelly. You— Lavinia, for heaven's sake, he implored, pushing back his chair. Calm yourself. He knew she was about to fly into one of her sudden passions, and frowned with acute vexation. I will not. Oh, yes, yes, you think me a shrew. I know, I know. But you need not frown on me, sir, for you are worse. No, I will not hush. I am a horrid woman, yes. But you are a cheat. A cheat, a cheat. Carstairs strode over to her. Lavinia. No, no, leave me alone. You make me miserable. You refuse me everything that I want most, and then you threaten to disgrace me. That is untrue, cried Richard, goaded into replying. I will not promise, that is all. What if I refused you? that was within my means to give you. God knows you try your best to ruin me. There, there, tis I who am to blame. Pray, did you not induce my lord to leave his money to John when you knew he would have willed it all to you, and you had kept silent? You took no thought to me. For heaven's sake, Lavinia, be still. You do not know what you are saying. She pressed her hands to her hot cheeks. No. I am unreasonable. I know it. But don't tell me so, for I cannot bear it. And don't look reproach at me, Richard. You drive me mad, I tell you. She was sweeping up and down the room like some caged animal, lashing herself to a worse fury. Say something, Richard. Do something. Don't stand there so quietly. Oh, you should have never married me. I displease you. And you make me worse, and you do not see how tis that I cannot live without pleasure and money. I am despicable. Yes, yes, but what are you? Oh, why did you tell me you cheated after you had wedded me? Angry sobs escaped her. Her handkerchief was in shreds upon the floor. Carstairs turned his back to her, that she might not see how she had contrived to hurt him, and the moment drove her to fresh fury. Don't do that! Don't! Don't! You make me worse by your dreadful silence. Oh, if you really loved me! You cannot doubt that, he cried, wheeling suddenly round. You know how I love you, don't you? He gripped her by the shoulders and swung her to face him. She trembled and gave a sobbing little laugh. As suddenly as it had come, her anger left her. <laughs> oh, yes! Yes, you do love me, Dickie. She twined her arms about his neck and shrank closer. God help me, yes, he groaned, thrusting her away. And you, you care for no one save yourself. No, no, she cried, pressing up to him again. Do not say that, Dick. Indeed, I love you, but I cannot live without gaiety. You know I cannot. Oh, I do not doubt but what I am very selfish. But tis the way I am fashioned, and I cannot change my nature. And now I have hurt you, 
and I did not mean to. I did not mean to. My dear, I know you did not. But try to be less a child, I beg of you. You are so uncontrolled, so... I knew you would say that, she answered in a dead voice. You do not understand me. You expect me to be good and patient and forbearing. And I tell you, tis not in my nature. But, Lavinia, you can control your passions, he said gently. No, I cannot. We, Thelman was as God made us, so we are. And he made us spendthrift and pleasure-loving and mad. She walked slowly to the door. But you do not understand. And you try to make me staid and thoughtful and a good mother when I am dying for life and excitement and care not that for housewifery. She opened the door slowly. And now my head aches and you look grave and say tis my wicked temper when I want you to be sorry and to be ready to do anything to comfort me. Why can you not take me to London? when you know how I long to be there, instead of this gloomy house with naught to do, save my child and my needle. I am so tired of it all, so very tired of it all. She would have left the room then, but he detained her. Wait, Lavinia, you say you are unhappy. She released the door-handle and fluttered her hands expressively. Unhappy? No, I am dull, I am ill-tempered. I am discontented. I am aught you please, so do not be sad, Richard. I cannot bear you to be solemn. Oh, why do we quarrel? With one of her impulsive movements, she was again at his side, with her beautiful face upturned. Love me, Richard. Take me to London and never mind, and I do squander your money. Say you do not care. Say that nothing matters so long as I am happy. Why do you not say it? Does anything matter? Don't be prudent, Dicky. Be wild. Be reckless. Be anything rather than grave and old. Her arms crept up to his coaxingly. Take me to London. Carstairs smoothed the soft hair back from her forehead, very tenderly, but his eyes were worried. My dear, I will take you, but not just yet. There is so much to be done here. If you will wait a little longer... Ah, oh, if I will wait, if I will be patient and good, but I cannot. Oh, you don't understand, Dicky. you don't understand. I am sorry, dear. I promise I will take you as soon as possible, and you will stay as long as you please. Her arms fell away. I want to go now. Dear, very well, very well. We will go presently. Only don't reason with me. He looked at her concernedly. You are overwrought, my love, and tired. Yes, she agreed listlessly. Oh, yes, I will go now and rest. Forgive me, Dick. She kissed her fingertips and extended them to him. I will be good one day. She turned and hurried out of the room and up the stairs, leaving the door open behind her. Richard stayed for a moment, looking round at the signs of her late presence. Mechanically, he stooped to pick up her embroidery and the piece of her handkerchief. The two flowers were broken off short, and he threw them away. Then he left the room, and went out onto the sunny terrace, 
gazing across the beautiful gardens into the blue distance. Across the lawn came a child of four or five, waving a grimy hand. "'Father!' Richard looked down at him and smiled. "'Well, John?' The boy climbed up the terrace steps, calling his news all the way. "'Tis Uncle Andrew, sir. He has rid over to see you, and is coming through the garden to find you. "'Is he? As he left his horse at the stables?' "'Aye, sir. So I came to tell you.' "'Quite right. Will you come with me to meet him?' The little rosy face lighted up with pleasure. "'Oh, may I?' He cried and slipped his hand into Richard's. Together they descended the steps and made their way across the lawn. "'I have run away from Betty,' announced John with some pride. "'There's Uncle Andrew, sir.' He bounded away, towards the approaching figure. Lord Andrew Belmanois was Richard's brother-in-law, brother to the present duke, he came up with John in his arms and tumbled him to the ground. "'Good day, Dick. "'Tis a spoilt child you have here.' "'Aye. "'He is but now escaped from his nurse. "'Splendid. "'Come, John. "'You shall walk with us, and we'll confound fat Betty.' He slipped his arm through Richard's as he spoke. "'Come, Dick. "'There's a deal I have to say to you.' He grimaced ruefully. The child ran on ahead towards the wood, a great bull's mastiff at his heels. "'What's to do now?' asked Richard, looking round into the mobile, dissipated countenance. "'The devil's in it this time, and no mistake,' answered his lordship with a rueful shake of his head. "'Deaths?' "'Lord, yes. I was at Delaby's last night, and the stakes were high, although I've lost about three thousand counting what I owe Carew. And devil take me, and I know where's to come from.' His Tracy turns saint and swears he'll see me damned before he hands me another penny. I doubt he means it, too. Tracy was the duke. Richard smiled a little cynically. He had already had to lend his grace a thousand guineas to pay off some trifling debt. He means it right enough. I believe it would puzzle him to find it. Do you say so? Why, tis impossible, man. Tracy was in town scarce a fortnight since, and he had a run of the devil's own luck. I tell you, Dick, I saw him walk off with a cool five thousand one night, and then he denies me a paltry three. Lord, what a brother! And all with the air of an angel, as if he had never lost at dice. And a homily thrown in. Anyone would think I had cheated instead of— <clears throat> Dick, I'm confoundedly sorry. Damn thoughtless of me. Never thought that—about about what I was saying. I'm a fool. For Richard had winced. "'You cannot help that,' he said, forcing a laugh. "'Have done with your apologies and continue.' They had come to the stream by now, and crossed the little bridge into the wood. "'Oh, there's not much more. "'Tis only that something must be done. "'For Carew won't wait, and stop me if I'd ask him, the lean-faced scarecrow. "'So I came to you, Dick.' He let go Richard's arm and flung himself down on a fallen tree-trunk, regardless of velvet and laces. "'You're a good fellow, and you don't lecture a man as Tracy does. Devil take him. And you play high yourself, or you did, though tis an age since I saw you win or lose enough to wink at. And after all, you're Lavy's husband, and—oh, damn it, old Dick, tis monstrous hard to ask you.' Carstairs, leaning against a tree, surveyed the youthful rake amusedly. "'Tosh, Andrew,' he reassured him. "'You're welcome to ask. But the Lord knows where I'm to find it.' "'God, what a life! "'His Lavinia keeps buying silks, "'and I don't know what all, and—' "'She was ever a spendthrift jade,' 
said Andrew, with a mighty frown. Richard laughed at him. "'You're a thrifty fellow yourself, of course.' Andrew looked round for something to throw at him, and finding nothing, relapsed once more into deepest despondency. "'You're in the right of it. We're a worthless lot. Tis the old man's blood in us, I doubt not, with a smattering of her grace. You never knew my mother, did you, Richard? She was French. Lavy's the spit of her. This Tracy stabbed me. But Tracy's the very devil. Have you ever seen a face like his?' "'No, I'll swear you've not. "'What with his sneering mouth and his green eyes, "'oh, tis enough to make a fellow go to the dogs "'to have a brother like it. "'Pone my soul it is. "'Aye, you can laugh, but I tell you, tis serious. "'Aye, go on. "'Well, next there's Bob. "'Damn it all, but I'm sorry for Bob. "'Tis a beggarly pittance they give one in the army, "'and he was never one to pension scrape. "'Well, as I say, there's Bob, and I never see him. "'But what's it?' "'But what it's, lend me a hundred, Andy, or the like. "'And all to buy his mistress some goo-gaw. "'That's what sickens me. "'Why, Bob's forever in some scrape with a petticoat. "'And as for Tracy, gad, how they can. "'Then there's Lavinia. "'But I should think you know her by now. "'And lastly, there's your humble servant. "'And I tell you, Dick, "'what with the racing and the cards and the bottle, "'I shall be a ruined man before you can turn around.' "'And the parlour is. I'll never be any different. "'Tis in the blood. So where's the use in trying?' He made a rueful grimace and rose. "'Come on, young Rip. We're going back.' John, engaged in the task of hunting for tadpoles in the water some yards distant, nodded and ran on. "'I fear my lady is indisposed,' said Richard hesitantly. "'You wish to see her?' Andrew winked knowingly. "'Dantrums, eh?' "'Oh, no, I know her.' "'No, I do not care, and I do not see her. "'Tis little enough she cares for me, "'though she's as thick as thieves with Tracy. "'Oh, I, I'll be dumb.' "'They walked slowly back to the house, "'Andrew silent for once, "'twirling his gold-mounted cane. "'You shall have the money, of course. "'When do you want it?' said Richard presently. "'Pone honour, you're a devilish good fellow, Dick. "'But if tis like to put you at any nonsense.' "'When do you need it?' "'I should pay Carew as soon as may be. "'Markham can wait over if... "'No, no. "'Wednesday?' "'Twill do excellently well. "'Dick, you're a... "'Oh, pshaw. "'Tis not. "'I want your opinion on a bay mare I bought last week. "'You'll maybe think her a trifle long in the leg, "'but she's a fine animal.' "'John had run indoors, "'and the two men proceeded to the stables alone. "'Andrew, discouraging all the way, "'recounting for his brother-in-law's benefit "'the choice morsels of scandal "'that was circulating town at the moment. "'That his auditor, but attended with half an ear, "'affected him not at all. "'He never paused for an answer, "'and, in any case, was far too good-natured "'to care if he received none. "'By the time they had duly inspected the mare "'and walked back to the house, "'it was nearly four o'clock, "'and not altogether to Carstairs' surprise, "'Lavinia was awaiting them on the terrace, "'clad in a totally different gown, and with her hair freshly arranged and curled. "'Twould appear that Lavinia has recovered,' remarked Andrew as they mounted the steps. "'She was ever thus, not two minutes the same. "'Well, Lavie?' "'Well, Andrew?' She gave him a careless hand to kiss, but smiled sweetly up at her husband. "'My headache is much better,' she told him. "'And they said that Andrew was come to see you. "'So I came downstairs.' She turned eagerly to her brother. "'Tell me, Andrew.' 
Is Tracy at home? Lord, yes. He arrived yesterday. Devil take him. Do you want him? Oh, yes. She nodded. I want to see him again. I've not set eyes on him for an age. I want you to take me back with you. Surely, my dear, tis a trifle late in the day for such a drive, demurred Richard, trying to conceal his annoyance. Can you not wait until to-morrow? Faith, you'll have to, Lavvy, for I'll not take you to-day. That's certain. I'm riding to Fletcher's when I leave here. Tracy can visit you to-morrow when he chooses. Will he? she asked doubtfully. Andrew clapped his hand to his vest-pocket. "'If I had not forgot,' he exclaimed, "'I've a letter from him for you. "'He intends waiting on you to-morrow, in any case. "'Lord, what it is to have a scatterbrain like mine!' He pulled a handful of papers from his pocket and selected one, sealed and addressed in a sloping Italian handwriting. Lavinia pounced upon it joyfully and tore it open. Andrew restored the rest of the documents to his pocket with yet another rueful laugh. "'Duns, Richard, duns!' "'Give them to me,' answered the other, holding out his hand. Oh, no! But many thanks, Dick. These are quite unimportant.' "'Why not pay them all and start afresh?' urged Carstairs. "'Lord, no! Why, I should be so damned elated that before the day was out there'd be a score of fresh debts staring me in the face.' "'Let me lend you a thousand to begin on. Could you not keep out of debt?' "'I keep out of debt? Impossible!' "'Don't look so solemn, Dick. I told you twas in the blood. We never have a penny to bless ourselves with. But what's the odds? I shall have a run of luck soon. A man can't always lose. Then I shall be able to pay you. But of course I shan't. It'll all go at the next table. I know.' He spoke so ingenuously that Richard could not be angry with him. There was a certain frankness about him that pleased, and though he might be spendthrift and heedless and colossally selfish— Richard felt a genuine affection for him. He would have liked to argue the point further, but Lavinia came forward, refolding her letter. "'Tracy is coming to-morrow afternoon,' she told her husband. "'Twill be prodigiously agreeable, will it not?' He assented, but with a lack of warmth that did not fail to strike her ears. "'And he will stay to dine with us?' she cried challengingly. "'Certainly, my love.' "'Look pleased, Dicky. look pleased.' "'Why don't you like Tracy? He is my brother. You must like him.' "'Of course I like him, Lavinia. Pray, do not be foolish.' "'No, I am not. Don't be cross, Dicky, dear.' "'Well, if you like him, I'm surprised,' broke in Andrew. "'I can't bear him. I flash your eyes at me, Lavvy. I don't mind.' Lavinia opened her mouth to retaliate, but Richard hastily interposed. Their bickering was more than he could bear and he never understood how Lavinia could stoop to quarrel with the boisterous youth who tried so palpably to rouse her. He bore them back off to the house, feeling much like a nursemaid, with two recalcitrant children. End of chapter 4 Recording by Tara Mendoza Phoenix, Arizona July 2011